GamesillaMedia.com. Noise Land Arcade. Welcome to Noise Land Arcade. I am Craig WK, and with me is my spooky friend, Sean the Arcade Phantom. Craig. Yeah. Craig. Uh-huh. Craig. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Craig. It, stop shaking Craig. me. Stop shaking me. It's Halloween! That's right. Today we are covering Treehouse of Horror, the first, before there were any numbers to it. Does this episode take place in the treehouse? Unlike it, every other treehouse of horror? <laughs> it sure does. It absolutely does. So, uh, so yeah, Sean, this is our first Simpsons Halloween special, which would become a tradition every year moving forward after this one. And uh, when did this episode come out? This episode first came out on October 25th, 1990. Just a few days away from Halloween. So, in this episode, Homer notices that uh, that his children are telling each other scary stories and decides to listen in and becomes more and more terrified as the night goes on. Uh, so, so this is a very... This is pretty much kind of a canon Halloween special, right? Kind of. It's like the one... Well, there's a couple others because there's the one that's um, the one where they tell the stories when and they have bad dreams, yeah, having bad dreams and things like that. So and the first couple all have kind of a narrative to them that could happen. Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, early uh, Halloween specials, this one in particular, is I uh, I uh, it it fits in the Simpsons universe. It's not like it's completely you know outlandish and ridiculous, but also not just like a story. I. Uh, so, Sean, uh, like, there's a ton to talk about in this episode, so let's just sort of dive right in. Uh, so, Craig, what's going on in the world right now, back in 1990? Yeah, so on this day in 1990, uh, news had just been reported that uh, six people had been killed in bombings in Northern Ireland from attacks by the IRA. Ah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so they're the bad guys in the new Pokemon, right? Right? <laughs> Right, it takes place in an England-like area, right? That's... They might be. Yeah, the IRA. For those who are unaware, uh, it, they are the uh, uh, Irish Republican Army, and they're essentially like a guerrilla force of terrorists that are trying to strike, or or have essentially always been trying to strike back against England for their control over Ireland and the United Kingdom. There, I uh, yeah, technically England only owns about half of Ireland. The northern half is the England area, while the southern half is still considered Irish territory. It's so weird that like like that kind of stuff is still going on. The and United Kingdom had a grasp on the entire world at one time. Yeah, they really did. They, they had the world <laughs> in their pockets. It was ridiculous. So yeah, on in Londonbury, uh, Northern Ireland, the IRA uh, attacked and uh, uh, because they were trying to get revenge for one of their like top gunmen being killed, uh, they took down six British soldiers. Uh, uh, there was like a, a civilian and a bunch of other people, like 35 people had been injured in these bomb attacks. And, uh, you know, it was it was cra- like it's crazy to think that, like, you know, England was dealing with like guerrilla warfare. Like, that's crazy to think about, right? A little bit, because we were kind of we were starting Desert Storm, but we we're kind of at peace times over here in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Desert Shield was ratcheting things up for sure. But like, yeah, America... 
didn't really have things like that going on back then, you know, in the in the 90s. You know, that wasn't really much of a thing. Uh, it's like late 80s into the 90s. Uh, but what what do you have for us, uh, uh, Sean? What's 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 going on in, in the, the sort of the pop culture side of things? Not too much is going on in the pop culture side of things, in all honesty. Yeah. The day after this episode aired, October 26th, mm-hmm. there was only one horror movie to be released, which really? was Stephen King's The Graveyard Shift. Mediocre telling of a Stephen King story, like <laughs> most gonna, of the movies. I was gonna say, is that any good? I, I don't think I've ever heard of that one. Yeah, you're not missing much. And mm. honest, I mean, it's got some cheesy fun to it. I enjoy it personally because I love horror movies. Sure, but sure. It's not a classic. It's not something you go out of your way for. Mm. Well, we're off to a depressing start today, so let's begin. I uh, so in this Halloween special. Marge pops on a stage, and it's kind of meta. So it is meta, and it's also a reference. Oh, is it? I don't know if most of our viewers would know this. Marge coming listeners. on stage. Listeners, yeah. <laughs> Marge comes on stage, and it's a reference to Frankenstein. It's a reference to Frankenstein? Frankenstein begins with Edward Edward Van Sloan walking mm-hmm. out in front of a red... It was supposedly red. It's a black and white film. So Oh, sure, sure. So a he, curtain. He walks in front of a red curtain. And he says, how do you do? Mr. Carl Lavelle feels it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care... To subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to, uh, well, we warned you. Wow! So this is a direct reference from the opening to, what, the original Frankenstein The original Frankenstein. Wow! Now, would that be the Universal Pictures? So, it's not technically the original Frankenstein, because there was a silent Frankenstein before Universal, but it's the Universal Pictures, one one everyone knows. The one everyone knows. Okay, I gotcha. Because I know there's, like... Yeah, Thomas Edison yeah. Did, did a silent picture, actually, of Frankenstein, the modern really? Prometheus. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, In case you guys didn't know, I really like horror <laughs> movies. <laughs> so, 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 Sean, I, I, so, so Marge comes on stage, and she warns everybody, and she's like, hey, this episode's real scary, your kids should be in bed, I... You know, I, I don't want to get any angry letters. And I do feel like the Simpsons were perpetually getting angry letters. So this was probably their way of being like, hey, get off our backs. Oh, yeah. This is right before the whole Bush controversy. Because that would have happened next year. Ah, where Bush yes. would have come out against the Simpsons and Barbara Bush would have wrote an angry letter about it. And then Marge would have replied back. Well, we'll get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> That's coming in the future for sure. Uh, so the the intro scene has been replaced with a trip through a graveyard, which would become the norm for many years to come. Uh, and so, do you have a list of all the tombstones? I do, but if you have it, go ahead and... Oh, okay, yeah, I, I do have the list, but I do want to chat with uh, uh, quite a few of them with you. So you have Ishmael Simpson, Ezekiel Simpson, Cornelius V. Simpson, Garfield, the Grateful Dead, Casper the Friendly Boy. So I like that it's Casper the Friendly Boy because he became a ghost and was the friendly ghost after this. Elvis, your name here, Paul McCartney, and Disco. Do you know why Paul McCartney's on that list? I I don't, because he's alive. Is he? That's the question of the day. Is Paul McCartney alive? I I mean, yeah, right? There's a popular conspiracy in 
fan theory uh-huh. that Paul McCartney is dead. What, really? Yeah, it, there's a conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney died in 1969, and he was replaced with a lookalike named Billy Shears. And according to Beatles truthers, uh-huh. the Beatles basically were giving hints about this through all, all their albums that Paul was actually dead and that they had replaced him. <laughs> what? Are you serious? Dead serious. This is like a real thing. And going off the deep end, going into conspiracy theories, you can learn so much more about this. But just for some <laughs> basic info, uh-huh. some of the hints to cover it up is the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts. Yeah. If you look at the album cover... It's supposedly actually a funeral with all of them looking at a plot in the front. Oh. Most specifically, the younger versions of the Beatles are all wearing black and staring at the front down and looking sullen. Interesting. There's also the um, cover to Abbey Road mm-hmm. where they're walking across the, um, the famous street. Yeah, the intersection. And all of the characters in that are basically references to things about what's going on. Uh-huh. So John is wearing all white, just like a priest. Ringo is dressed in black like a pallbearer. Uh-huh. George is bringing up the rear in a blue jean getup. He's the gravedigger of the group. Uh-huh. Paul's walking across shoelessly because he's dead. Supposedly, if you play some of these Beatles songs in reverse or slowed down, <laughs> they give hints to this. So Revolution 9, if you put it in reverse, you hear he hit a pole. Better get him to see a surgeon. And it, I'm so tired, they say in reverse, Paul is dead, miss him, miss him. And if you play Strawberry Fields slow down, you can hear John Lennon saying, I buried Paul. To which he says that he said cranberry sauce. So basically, <laughs> there's this whole theory that Paul McCartney is dead, which is why they put that tombstone in the front. Hmm. Interesting. I had no idea that was a, a conspiracy theory. Yeah. So that's a whole conspiracy about the Beatles and... You guys are listening to the Beatles podcast now. <laughs> so here's another uh, uh, question. Uh, so Garfield comics are still being made. Or were they just making fun of Garfield? I, th- I think so. Just making, poking fun at the fact that it's been going for so long? I, I think they were just trying to throw out some cartoon characters. So Garfield was in there and Casper the Friendly Boy. Okay, yeah. Casper the Friendly Boy was a, it was a pretty funny one. Uh, no, uh, the other kind of weird thing is the Grateful Dead... Which I can only imagine is a reference to the band being called the Grateful Dead, but they were active until 1995. Yeah, so that's what I would assume. It's because they were the Grateful Dead. (laughs) I I get it. They're all tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. And actually, the writers have said coming up with graves and coming up with spooky names, which they really didn't do in this episode. Oh, yeah, they didn't. Was one of the hardest things they've had to write. That's funny. They would always stress out about that for every Halloween episode. Interesting. And it just goes by like that. It's a quick little thing. Oh, yeah. It does it. It's super fast. Nobody, I mean, unless you're some, <laughs> do we do it a podcast about it and you're you're really getting involved in, in that. Pausing part. your DVDs constantly. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I've done that. I, oh, I, uh, another thing I'd like to point out is in the writing credits for this episode, Edgar Allan Poe is given cr- uh, credit in the credits. In the opening, I didn't notice that actually. Oh, That's yeah. kind of fantastic. If you if you're watching uh, the intro to uh, uh, Treehouse of Horror One, you'll see that uh, when it brings up the writers, it also mentions Edgar Allan Poe. So they dug him up and had him like record some <laughs> lines for this, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> he wrote it, recorded some lines. I think that's how it works. I. Uh, so uh, the episode begins, and Homer loves Halloween. He's he's real like happy that he has a bunch of candy, and he sees that his kids are are up in the treehouse. 
hence Treehouse of Horror. Isn't that a little weird, though? Isn't it weird that Homer's the one who went trick-or-treating and not the kids? It is incredibly weird, because I can remember being a teenager, and I... I I stopped uh, uh, handing out ca- or I stopped collecting candy when I was fairly young. Actually, I was probably like in early middle school, late elementary when I started to be the one that handed out candy because my mom would go out to like parties and stuff. And my sister would like go with her friends because she was younger than me and we needed someone to pass out candy. And I didn't really want to get dressed up and wander around the neighborhood. I figured, well, if I portion out the candy correctly when I'm handing it out, I'll end up with more candy this way. And so I I actually stayed in a lot of Halloweens when I was fairly young. And uh, it was always kind of weird when like teenagers were coming. In fact, I remember neighbors being like, oh, I don't I don't give them the teenagers much. And it was like, why? Like, what does it matter? Who cares? You're giving candy out to everybody. Right, yeah. But I will say, if some, like, 30-something-year-old man, if I myself right now was trick-or-treating, it'd probably be a little weird, especially with a cheap costume. It'd be a little weird. But, I mean, there is Dad Halloween. For those of you who don't know what Dad Halloween is, it's when you take your kids out trick-or-treating, and other dads will give you things like beers when you step by the house, and... There is sort of a dad Halloween, so you're kind of going in that territory. I don't have the kid for it to be a dad Halloween, though, so it's just creepy Halloween. Well, you just got to sign up for the Big Brothers program. Get yourself a little (laughs) kid and go out and get some free beers and candy. (laughs) Plus, you made that kid's night for Halloween and free beers and candy. Come on. Free beer and candy, you say? Hmm. But I do think it's weird that Homer's dressed up as a ghost and the kids aren't dressed up in any Halloween costumes. Oh, yeah, no. I So, I. I uh, as far as that goes, I uh, the the kids are telling each other stories and uh Lisa is in the midst of basically uh, regaling the plot of Scream, right? No, this would have been way before Scream. It's, it's the, <laughs> I mean it is, but it is basically the plot of Scream, like the, the phone is coming from inside the house. Yeah, that's uh when a stranger calls actually is the horror movie that you're thinking of where there's someone calling from inside the house in the attic. You and your horror movie knowledge. I'm trying to make a joke about Scream, and you're not going to have it. Nope, I'm not. I'm going to go straight <laughs> to the facts, Craig. It's also an old urban legend that turned into When a Stranger Calls, but... Now, that doesn't surprise me too much, because that does seem like something that would be an urban legend. That kind of happens with a lot of horror. I thought you were going to say that kind of happens and just end it with that, and I was like, don't, no, don't do that to me. I, I don't want to be home and like get a phone call from someone who's like, what are you wearing, Craig? Well, oddly enough, that really can't happen anymore because we have cell phones and we have caller ID. Yeah. Like that story of the call coming from inside the house. That really cannot happen unless you got somebody with a cell phone in your house, but they're not going to be able to detect that. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, that's. I guess that's kind of one of our big dated references right off the bat is the fact that like that story can't happen anymore yeah actually a lot of paramedics and fire units are having issues with people who they can't detect where they are because they have cell phones that they're calling from yeah it is i've heard it's very hard to uh track down people with cell phones and stuff with uh uh you know things like that uh so so normally yeah if this was any other holiday of the year yeah if it was christmas easter thanksgiving Mm -hmm. i don't know saint patrick's day valentine's day arbor day my favorite holiday i would judge bart for decorating because his treehouse is decorated, so you know Bart decorated this treehouse. But it's yeah. Halloween, so you better decorate for Halloween, because <laughs> it's the best holiday ever. 
So, I uh, so Bart isn't very scared of the this this horror story of the person calling him from inside the house, uh, and uh, he he makes fun of Lisa for saying that like he heard that years ago, no big deal. Uh, and Bart decides to tell the next story, and Homer is going to listen in from outside the treehouse, uh, so his kids can't see him. Uh, and, and I only I can only presume he was going to like try to scare him or something, and then he got sucked into their stories. I could assume something like that, or he was going to go out and get more candy, possibly from the Flanders's. <laughs> the Flanders's. Uh, so the first story that's up is the Bad Dream House. I think this might be my favorite of the three. This is a really good one. This one has a lot of solid jokes, and there, there's a lot of nostalgia for the final uh, one for me, but, but yeah, this one's really great. So right off the bat, Bad Dream House starts off with the shot of a house. Mm-hmm. And it's this creepy exterior of a home that the Simpsons are moving into. Big mansion. It's and huge. It looks very similar mm-hmm. and is based off the design of the original house from Amityville Horror. Oh, they use that as sort of a design it's reference? It's kind of a design reference. So it doesn't look exactly the same, obviously. Yeah. But they took a lot of the architecture with the high up windows and things like that. Yeah. It almost gives the house like a face with the windows is what they were going for. So Homer tips the guy who the mover and he tips him uh he's like here you go my good man and the guy goes a buck i'm glad this place is cursed and homer's like huh and then he just ignores him that voice probably sounds fairly familiar uh i'm a giant star wars geek so of course that voice sounds familiar to me (laughs) james earl jones in his first simpson role is the mover that's all he is in this part. Yep, the he, mover. <laughs> he's not anything else that would be very fitting for this this particular story. What, you think there's a more fitting voice he could have done in this story? We'll get to that. <laughs> so I can only assume James Earl Jones didn't do the voice Craig is thinking of because this was a pickup line. For those who don't know, in animation, a pickup line is a line that you record afterwards to be used for something else. So it could be he recorded his big part, which is going to be the finale of this episode, The Raven. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, Mr. Jones, we've got you here. You want to record a couple lines? You could do some extra characters. I'm sure that's what it was. But but there is a voice in particular in this segment that he should have really been. And, you know, it's okay. But uh, So the uh, the house has a lot of really nice features. Uh, Homer describes it. Uh, oh, no, I think Marge actually describes it as being a prime location. 18 bedrooms. That's huge. And a moat. Which you don't see from the exterior, so I'm sure that's just a a, a, a quick little reference, just making you know making fun of the fact that it is so big. But eighteen like eighteen bedrooms, I didn't even bother to look it up online to see how much it would be worth because we all know it's in the millions and millions. Like there's no way that a, a home with eighteen bedrooms is less than like a few million dollars. Oh yeah, it's definitely a few million dollars. I've been in homes that cost. Roughly around a million dollars, and they have maybe six bedrooms. Okay, so we're saying a billion, then. We're just going to go jump up to a billion I, I dollar would, house. I wouldn't jump that high, but I would say it's probably like... 10 mil? Probably a 10 to 15? 30 million dollar home. 15 million dollars? Somewhere in that range. It's so ridiculous. It's not a home you could buy if you won the Monopoly million dollars from McDonald's. <laughs> so, do they still do that? I Oh, we might have dated ourselves. I don't know if yeah. they still do that. I... Uh, so I uh, I uh, 
you know, Bart's pulling books out of a box, setting them down, and you can see it's it's actually kind of an interesting uh, approach because the like Marge is talking about her like hesitations over the fact that she's like, you know, how do we get such a good house? And Homer's like, oh, I'm just a really good, you know, like de- you know, like great at deals or whatever. We got lucky. And Bart's setting the books down, and his back is turned, talking with the family, and you can see the books moving and floating back into the box. He sets them down, and then they whoop, go back into the box and stuff. And it's great because if you're not paying attention, you won't notice. It's not They're not being super overt about it. No, a lot of things happen in the background of this episode that aren't in your face. Also, at one point, the walls start to bleed. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite parts. I love this segment so much. So do you know what the wall's bleeding is from? Ooh, I, I'm sure it's from a horror movie. I... Uh, Let's see. The Shining had blood in the elevators, but not on the walls, so I'm not sure what, what movie. We go back to the Amityville Horror, where the walls started to bleed. Really? Yep. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of references just in the design of this home and things that happen around it. Such, oh, absolutely. If you look at the house and the interior, it's got a very weird color scheme, which yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. It's very bright, very vibrant. They were going for a look similar to Dario Argento's Suspiria. Yeah. Which is like one of the last Technicolor films, and it's very bright, very vibrant. Yeah. And the house is kind of painted in similar tones, where it's very expressive, because a bright home shouldn't be creepy. That was Argento's thought process, that somewhere bright and happy shouldn't have that scary feel to it, but it somehow is scary. That's interesting. And you're right. I, I you know, when you, when you think bright colors, you think, you know, happy and safe and fun. But really, there is a certain kind of unsettlingness because so many houses you know tan walls white walls brown walls like you know it, a lot of people's homes are very very subdued you know there's you don't find many homes where it's very bright colors yeah certainly not in living room unless you're you in know. a child's room they're usually right. not bright colored exactly exactly i uh, so i uh, uh, a book gets thrown across the room not from bart but bart gets blamed and i uh, i uh, you know, the you know Lisa gets hit in the back of the head. The they start arguing, and Bart's like, "I didn't do it." And you hear a voice that uh, says, "Get out!" But it's just the house settling. Yeah, it's just the house settling. <laughs> it's just the house settling from Homer. Uh, so you're right. So they get to the kitchen. Blood is dripping out of the walls, but Marge doesn't notice. She doesn't turn around to see it. So you only see it in the background, but you like the the characters themselves have not seen it yet. Uh, and there's a weird portal i love the weird portal scene (laughs) what is that from that i can't really place what it's from it seems similar to when the house disappears in the house of usher but that i couldn't pick what the actual portal is really there's also twilight zone episodes like little girl lost where they have the portal to another dimension oh so maybe it's a reference to stuff like that then but i think it's just they put a weird portal in there to have weird portal to have gag because it's pretty funny Yeah, Marge says that the kitchen could use a woman's touch as blood is, like, dripping on the walls. Uh, and uh, uh, there's a portal. And when, I think it's Homer throws a, an orange into it. Yeah, he throws an orange into it. And it disappears and, like, it, like, explodes when it teleports away into whatever other dimension. And then a piece of crumpled up paper gets thrown out back out the portal, hits Homer. And I think Lisa catches it and she says, and it, the, uh, the letter says, quit throwing your garbage into our dimension. So that's the far realm, right? <laughs> pretty, yeah, pretty much. Some Lovecraftian, horrifying universe where they're very civil. 
Yeah, they're, they're super civil. Incredibly civil. Don't mess with them if you go there. But, but they're going to be kind to you when they when they give you a you know a lecture. I uh, now the the next scene transitions and, and uh, well actually it doesn't really even transition. They hear Bart yelling for help. Yeah. He yells for mom and dad. They go in and Bart is being strangled by the cord of a lamp. While floating. While floating. And Homer says, let's see you talk your way out of this one, boy. (laughs) Homer's not a very good dad, even in imaginary Halloween stories. Homer's a great dad in the story, and I love it. (laughs) Homer is such an idiot. Uh, So so I I do have a question, uh, Sean. And this this is sort of like looping into our video game interests, but like... Did the writers for The Simpsons like get a early access ROM of Earthbound? I Earthbound Zero. I wish they would have. I mean, we didn't get that ROM <laughs> until 1999 when it was randomly found. Yeah, the in Earthbound Zero, Earthbound Beginnings, uh, your very first enemy is a lamp. Your lamp comes to life because, much like in this case, your house is haunted by like a poltergeist or something. Some horrifying being takes over your house, and you get attacked by a lamp in the beginning of that game. Yeah, it's the very first enemy in the game, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. It is the That's very first enemy, yeah. Uh, so I thought that was uh, a kind of funny uh, funny little uh, coincidence. Or was it a coincidence? They got it early. They those, never gave it to us. Those bastards. Uh, Seriously, it took us until 1999 to get that ROM leaked out to the public. That was, oh. that was when they first found that prototype and it went up for auction. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was. That was quite a while after this. Starman.net had like a whole article about finding it. Like, is it real? That was when the their site was, I think, Earthbound.net. Oh, it was still Earthbound.net back then. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And you just dated us a lot by that to oh. any Earthbound fans. The two of them out there listening. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, so, so Lisa feels an evil presence, right? Yeah. And Marge wants to leave, but Homer thinks that they should sleep on it. Homer's right. You stay a night in the haunted house, and that's how you inherit the money. <laughs> I, is that how this works? I feel like they just—they already have the house. I feel like you inherit it after you've been there for a night. So Homer doesn't want them to leave. However, he is psychically lifted about twenty feet into the air, into the the what would this be like the the, the sort of like what what would this chamber be called? The foyer. The fo- foyer. Yeah, <laughs> I. Uh, lifted like 20 feet up in the air, dropped, had to hurt. Being dropped 20 feet down on your gut, I feel like it could kill a person. At the very least, it would cause some serious damage. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But Homer just says, let's sleep on it. it. It's basically falling off the roof of your house. Yeah, it does a lot of damage and can kill you. So they decide to sleep on it. And that's <laughs> when the house goes into its house mode. <laughs> I love house mode. House mode is wonderful. The uh, uh, the house starts urging Bart, and it twists and bends and moves closer. Like the walls shift around, and I uh, he asks, he says like he's like your family's out to get you, Bart. Kill them. And Bart's like, are you my conscience? And the house is like. Eh, but- yeah, yeah, your conscience. Kill them, Bart. And he prompts all of the Simpsons who are asleep to get up. So we get some really eerie shots of all the Simpsons that he tells to get up, too. Mm-hmm. 
Lisa has a very poltergeist-esque thing with the haunted tree outside of her window. Oh, yeah. Maggie's head is spinning around like the exorcist. <laughs> Homer's got a possessed look in his face with an axe like The Shining. Oh, yeah. Ho- Homer is very much, I think, a reference of The Shining there. The, the father of the household with an axe deciding that they're all out to get him and they need to die. I mean, we've all been there. Right. I mean, Anytime you know. I take NyQuil, I probably have a Shining-esque dream where Craig's a bartender telling me to kill my family. Yeah. Those weren't dreams, Sean. Oh, but that they weren't. No, though that that was that's pretty much every time we hang out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I mm. uh, anyway, I uh, so I uh, the the only one that the house does not manipulate is the one who is awake, who's March. But we're made to think that she's been manipulated because yeah. she grabs a knife off the like knife holder on the wall and she creepily responds to homer so when homer is like march where are you march he's like i'm in the kitchen and you feel like oh wow she's crazy too and she's making a sandwich i i'm not i march doesn't strike me as the type to have like 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 midnight snacks but in this episode she does she's making herself a sandwich is she making herself her sandwich, or does she know Homer's going to wake up in a little bit, and she's making a sandwich to prepare for Homer so he doesn't wake her up? You know, I've heard of people who, like, like essentially sleepwalk and, like, go to the kitchen and make a bunch of food, like, eat a bunch of food, and, like, go back to bed, and, like, they don't have memories of it. So, like, maybe Homer does that, and later in the show, we would see that he does occasionally wake up to eat, like, when he uh, decides to eat the 64 slices of American <laughs> cheese. And so maybe this is Marge's way of being like, well, I don't want him to make a mess in the kitchen. I don't want him to eat the things that we're going to prepare for dinner, so I'm going to make him a sandwich, sit it down by his bed, and when he wakes up in the middle of the night, he'll eat that sandwich and go back to bed. So Marge could be preparing. That could be. Yeah, I, 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 I would buy that. If there's any character on The Simpsons who sleepwalks and eats... It's Homer. Oh, well, we know it's, it's Homer. Homer. He, he, we've seen it. Tie, we, we, we will see it time and again, whether it's 64 slices of American cheese or if a burglar gives him a bunch of uh, sausages. Whatever the case may be, Homer will eat and go back to bed or go blind. You know, one or the other. One or the other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one or the other. Uh, so, uh, so Marge walks into the living room or the foyer and I... I She sees Homer with the axe about to raise it and slice, I think, Bart, who has a, uh, does he have a, uh, do the others have knives? The others have knives. Most particularly, Maggie has a little paring knife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that. She's got a little knife in her teeth that she's like, well, teeth, mouth, I guess she doesn't really have teeth at that point, maybe. Right, yeah. But she's walking around with a knife in her mouth and just... Chasing after her sister. <laughs> so uh, so they're all about to like destroy each other. And Marge yells at them. And uh, she she gets real upset. And they all drop their weapons. They're like, sorry, Marge. Sorry, Homer. Sorry, sorry. You know, please. And apologize. Which I think is kind of a core to the Simpsons dynamic. They may fight. Lisa and Bart may try to kill each other. But... <laughs> They apologize and get along with it, and life is good. I was going to say that it's very telling that this house has a, a, a particularly easy time manipulating these people into murdering each other. Not necessarily like hurting or saying bad things, murdering each other. They are all very, very quick to murder each other. If you're a haunted house, you go all in. You don't say, hey, go p- put your sister's hand in water so she pees the bed. You say, murder your sister. 
I don't know. I feel like if I was if 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 we were on like uh like a trip or you were staying over or something and my apartment walls started bleeding and they were like Sean is coming to get you. You need to murder Sean. I'd be like what? No, I'll, I'll just lock the door. Can I call the cops? Do I have to murder him? Oh, I, just... I would have grabbed the knife right away and been like, okay, gotta murder, gotta that's murder. That's why I always lock my doors when we hang out with each other. That's why when we hang out, we are behind a door that is locked. Is that why I gotta use the child safety scissors when I come over? <clears throat> um. So anyway, Sean, did you notice that Marge's robes change from pink to orange? In the no, scene? No, I didn't catch that. Oh, yeah, they, they changed from pink to orange. I was more focused on the giant, like, a serrated knife that she's using to spread mayo on the sandwich. Oh, that is a bad knife for, for spreading mayo. But I will say this. It's a good knife for cutting bread, but... <laughs> Here's the thing. Maybe she had to cut bread and she didn't want to dirty another knife. Well, then she dirtied the mayo by sticking it into the mayo jar. Listen... Sometimes when you're going to be going through that much mayo, you don't need to worry about crumbs getting in the mayo because you're going to go through it soon anyway. That's why squeeze mayo was invented. Squeeze mayonnaise is an abomination under the Lord, and I'll not have it in this studio. You are wrong. <laughs> squeeze mayo is the best mayo. For lazy people. Uh, so, so, why are we talking about mayonnaise? Uh, so, because we're both nerds who love food. Yeah, all right, fair enough. So... I, so the, I, the, uh, Lisa, is it Lisa that finds what's in the basement next? Yeah, Lisa's the one who finds what's in the basement next. What is in the basement, Sean? So in the basement is an Indian burial ground. It's almost entirely a Native American uh, burial ground, except for one. Yeah, so some of the graves in there are Tonto from the Lone Ranger, uh, Crazy Horse, Not So Crazy Horse, Pocahontas, Geronimo, Sitting Bull, and Mahatma Gandhi. Uh-huh. Uh, there's also Hiawatha, uh, Sacagawea, uh, uh, Cochise. Uh, and I, I looked them all up. And, of course, Not So Crazy Horse is uh, uh, just a gag. But every single one of them are real Native Americans that existed in history. So I got a funny story about this scene in particular. Mm-hmm. So... I was young when this episode first aired. Sure. As you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it aired back in 1990. Mm-hmm. And I had nightmares about having a Native American burial ground in my basement. <laughs> did you? I did. I was terrified of it. I thought, oh, God, there are people buried in my basement. And the weirdest part about this was every time I saw this episode, that joke was never in there. That scene was gone. I thought I imagined it. Oh, because of syndication, they cut they it. They cut it for syndication. So I had nightmares about a scene that wasn't in an episode that I would frequently see. And I thought I made it up as a child. It was like this weird thing. So finally, when season two's DVD box set came out like 10, 12 years later, yeah. I realized I didn't make up this scene for my childhood. <laughs> and it was a real scene. It terrified me as a kid. I'm so glad that it scared you. It wasn't even like you just had vague memories of a scene and that was it. It terrified you, so it was pronouncedly in your memory. And you, every time you'd watch it, you'd be like, oh my god, but it wasn't there, but I remember it being there. It was like a weird Mandela effect where I thought it happened, but it didn't happen. And I never understood why until the DVDs came out. That is that is amazing. Uh, so so here's a, a quick question too. Uh, do you feel like it's a funny gag, or is it culturally insensitive that Mahatma Gandhi is in the ancient 
Indian, quote unquote, in this case, literally burial ground. So a little from column A, a little from column B. Funny, but offensive. It's funny, but offensive. But I think they were trying to not be offensive by making a point that, you know, saying Indian was politically incorrect. Oh, that could be. They were kind of ahead of the curb on that. And they would say like, oh, okay, well, they're not really Indian. They're Native Americans. Columbus was an idiot. <laughs> he sure was. Yeah, murdering sea captain at that. Uh, so, uh, so I, uh, you know, uh, Homer, I, I, oh, I'm sorry. No, uh, first off, Bart's, uh, I love Bart's line because he says, uh, this place has everything. <laughs> Which is an amazingly funny line that's real quick that he says. Which is funny because as a child, I was terrified of having a graveyard in my basement. But if I were to go shopping for a house now and they were like, oh, somebody was buried in this basement. I'd be like, go on. <laughs> I'm interested in this story. I, uh, yeah, that that would be, I mean, if they're going to take uh, some of the, 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 bring the price down because they think it's haunted and, and I'm going to have a. Have a graveyard in my basement? I mean, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Have a graveyard in the basement. Smaller mortgage payment? Yeah, I can live with that. Uh, So Homer calls the man from the, I I presume the real estate office, maybe the title company, uh, Mr. Plute, which I don't know if that's a reference or not to anything. So the whole scene itself is a reference to Poltergeist Mm -hmm. and them getting the haunted house and it being a great deal because they moved the graves. That's the whole plot of Poltergeist, is it's haunted because they moved to cemetery to build the town. Oh, I gotcha. So so in like in, in this case they didn't actually move the body, so it doesn't really or perfectly match. Did up. they move the bodies in Poltergeist? We find out in the end they didn't move the bodies. Oh. And there's some buried underneath like the swimming pool that pop out, which oddly enough getting into horror movie trivia because that's <laughs> apparently all this episode is. Uh-huh. Toby Hooper used real human corpses in that scene in Poltergeist. Really? Yeah, it was actually cheaper to get human corpses back in the 70s and 80s than it was to get fake corpses. What, really? Yeah, Toby Hooper did it a lot. He did it in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All the bones in the house in the end are real human bones. Wow. And they used actual corpses in Poltergeist. That's which, so weird. Which a lot of people think is why the curse of Poltergeist happened, where many of the actors met with untimely fates or horrible things. Oh, Heather O'Rourke, the little girl from it, died at the age of like 12 from a heart complication. Ugh. The sister, uh, God, Dominic Dunn, I think was her name. Mm-hmm. She was strangled by her boyfriend. Cripes. So like there's about five people from the Poltergeist films who have passed away within a couple of years of the films coming out. Wow. They're like the most depressing story you could learn about a movie other than, you know, learning about Ducky from The Land Before Time. Mm, I don't even want to talk about that one. Jeez. Uh, so, uh, so Homer yells at Mister Plute, and he sa- he insists. He says, "You didn't tell me that this house was built on an ancient Indian burial ground." No, you didn't. Well, that's not my recollection. And he hangs up. He goes. He says he mentioned it five, five or six times. <laughs> Which is such a great delivery from Castle and <laughs> Oh, it's so good. That's one of my favorite lines from the whole whole thing. Uh, so the at this point, the the house starts threatening the family more openly, uh, and and I love the animation in in the whole episode. The animation is really wonderful, but in this scene in particular, I I really love it because like the the house sort of like almost has a life of its own, and it shifts in and out. The staircase moves away and gets closer. I really love it. So a lot of people say mm-hmm. The Simpsons didn't get good till season three. 
They say that's when The Simpsons got its best period. Mm-hmm. I think Treehouse of Horror is where it happened. You think Treehouse of Horror is where... No, I would almost even argue that the earlier episodes, they might not have as many jokes. Uh, but I do feel like season two has started off and the episodes have been great so far. Oh, yeah. But I feel like this is where the animation and the jokes have all come together to be perfect. I feel like this is the singular point where everything comes together perfectly. I, I No, I could, I could buy that. I, I think that uh, there are a lot more jokes. Uh, because there's so many transitions and scenes, because it's three different segments, they didn't have as much time, I think, to do as many jokes as they would have wanted. But I think you're right. I think that this episode hits a good stride for not only the animation, which is wonderful in this episode, but the, uh, uh, the, the jokes and stuff are pretty on point. Uh, but I... So... I, I, the, the house starts threatening them, uh, and Marge is tired of being bullied uh, and yells at the house and says that the house is going to have to get used to them being there. Marge goes from deciding that she doesn't want to live there to being pushed so much that she is so spiteful in this moment, which doesn't usually happen with Marge, that she says, you know what? Forget about it. You're going to be stuck with us. So this leads to probably my favorite part of the episode. You may love Homer telling Mr. Plute about the house. Uh I think my favorite delivery is after the house is kind of quiet and it subdues itself, Bart starts yelling, Come on, make the walls bleed. Do it. (laughs) Do it. We own you, man. No, I don't have to perform for you. I... I, I, yeah, I love the, the house's character. The fact that, like, he gets, like, he starts getting really frustrated with the Simpsons. He can't make them immediately murder themselves. He can hurt them, but, you know, Homer's kind of impervious to damage because he's just this big oaf. And, uh, so, uh, Marge yells at the house, uh, you know, saying that, you know, it, it's going to have to, like, you know, live with them. And, uh, the, the house says, living forever with the Simpsons. What choice do I have? And it asks for some time to think, and and the Simpsons walk outside, and it immediately implodes in on itself. Craig? Uh Uh-huh? Are are we the house in this scenario? Are we we stuck with the Simpsons forever? Are we going to have to put ourselves? (sighs) What choice do we have? Hmm. I really love that Bart yells bitchin' when the house uh, implodes in on itself. I think that was the first time I heard bitchin', and I started using bitchin' as a five-year-old kid until I got yelled at about it. So, so I, I, Lisa comments that it's, 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 you know, sort of sad that, that this sentient home chose to destroy itself rather than to spend a lifetime with the Simpsons. And... Uh, and then the the Simpson family walks away, and then the scene ends. So that's uh-huh. the tale of the first <laughs> part, the bad dream house. And Lisa wasn't very impressed. I uh, so she I uh, uh, she isn't very impressed. Bart tries the the finger in a box trick, uh, where there's a hole in the bottom of the box. You put your finger in it, and it looks like it looks like uh, like cloth and like red cloth to make it look like it's bloody. And it's this severed finger. And then Maggie starts sucking on it. Uh, So Bart says, though, that he's just warming up. And Bart has another story to tell uh, called Hungry Are the Damned. Oh, do I love Hungry Are the Damned. So for those that don't know, Mm -hmm. this episode 
is actually based on a 1950 short story. The short story was written by Damon Knight, and it was mm-hmm. later adopted into an episode of The Twilight Zone in 1962 to yeah. serve man. Yeah, so I, I never knew that it was a short story before it was a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, so it's a classic short story that got adopted into a Twilight Zone episode, and everybody knows it from The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if I said it on a Patreon special or a couple episodes ago on The Simpsons, because it's been a while. Yeah. But The Simpsons is not my favorite show of all time. My favorite show of all time is The Twilight Zone. Ah, you, I think you hinted at it before, uh, but I, I don't think you gave us a, a, a concrete answer at that time. So Twilight Zone is your favorite show of all time. By far, The Twilight Zone is my favorite show of all time. Rod Serling had a way of taking stories, making them culturally relevant, where they could still last up until this day. Yeah. Episodes from 1962 are still relevant today. He yeah, had, absolutely. He was a World War II veteran who basically came back and had a very anti-war personality, mm-hmm. which is not something that happened a lot back then. Yeah. So he would actually go on and make episodes about how fighting isn't always the answer. Sometimes there are human beings on either side of the war, despite who they're fighting for. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. But of course, he also had a thing that Nazis were very, very evil. <laughs> Ah, that was my favorite Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> the the one with the death camp. That was that was a really good one. I uh, so I uh, so yeah, the uh Hungry Are the Damned uh begins and home it's the family is doing a barbecue. The first time in the entire series the family is doing a barbecue. Oh, it is, isn't it? You would think with Homer love to eat that he would barbecue more, but it didn't happen until this very scene. You're right. It yeah. Huh. Yeah, it is weird because normally that you would think that would have happened sooner. Uh, it's a very American kind of thing for we're going to barbecue. Yeah, and yeah, eat. All, very all American. Uh, did you catch the apron he's wearing? Uh, what is the apron? Because I did catch it. Mafia staff apron. That's weird, right? It's a pretty good apron. I mean, everybody has those kind of cheesy aprons they which, wear. Which means that Bart, in telling the story, Told Lisa, oh, by the way, the dad and his family is wearing a mafia staff apron, which implies to me that, like, Bart's telling the story, and he's like, yeah, and the dad, and he, and Lisa was like, what's he do for a living? And he was like, oh, I don't know, he works for the mafia or something. Did, did he tell that detail, or did, did they just imagine it that way? Well, that could was be. that Lisa's imagining that this is happening? That could very well be. I feel like that would be more like Homer's imagination than, than Lisa's. Yeah, but. it could be. So he uh, he uses like a whole bottle of lighter fluid. So have you ever done that before? Have you ever used an entire bottle of lighter fluid to burn something? No, because I'm not a maniac. Okay, so I have a problem with fire. You don't say. And I've done that a couple times. Mm-hmm. And so our listeners know, not the only person throughout the GameZilla crew who might have a problem with fire, Zando. <laughs> Xander from Legend of Retro. Go figure. Him and I both used to go to bonfires every Thursday night, and we would burn stupid things. Whether it's taking like the Nerf bow and arrow and shooting it through fire so it lights on fire as it flies through the air, because Nerf is highly flammable. Or lighting big sticks on fire and fighting with flaming sticks. Don't try this at home, kids. No, really, don't. You'll probably die and we'll get blamed for it. Please don't do this. But I have totally put an entire bottle of lighter fluid into a fire before, and it ignites almost the same way that it does in this episode. Like Almost like it's just a nuclear cloud, just a fire like shoots up into the sky. It shoots right up real quick, and then it like settles down really raging. But hmm. so, so, how am I not surprised that you experimented with that? Uh, so, I... Uh, 
and, and it's funny because the this gag of Homer d- dropping a whole thing of of later fluid is a gag that would it later be used in The Simpsons. Yeah, they they repeat that later on. Uh, but I, I think it's weird that when Homer's cooking, mm-hmm. you hear a mosquito go into the mosquito zapper, and it says, "Ow." Oh, yeah, and then Homer's like, oh, it was a big one. Yeah, that that's weird, right? That is weird. Yeah, that is real weird. Uh, so uh, the, the, the scene kind of changes a bit, and the coloring uh, becomes green. There's a green hue to everything, and I really love what they did. In early Simpsons, they did a good job of putting that hue over everything. Whether it's the blue in Bart's room when he's upset that he thinks Krusty has become a criminal, or here where it's like all green, uh, in in the same uh, 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 short, we're gonna see the colors change again. Of course, they kind of do that in also when Bart has dreams of things, like when he has his dream that he's you know with all the founding fathers. It's in a red, white, and blue color. Oh yeah, yeah. They've they've done it for that episode or as well. Later in Bart the Murderer, he's gonna have a dream where it's in a very muted color. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. They do it for uh, dream sequences. Uh, so UFOs start abducting the family. And, like, Homer, oblivious as always, is like, your food's getting cold. And he's like, holy moly. And uh, Tractor Beam picks up all the Simpsons members, except for for Homer, where they need two. How pathetic is that Tractor Beam, that it can't pick up Homer Simpson? Or how pathetic is Homer Simpson that he's that big? Homer only weighs 239, according to the Simpsons. That's... I feel like he probably weighs more, but you, you're he right, definitely yeah. weighs more than that. But 239 is not that much that a tractor beam for a ship couldn't pick it up. Yeah, that's very true. That is a pretty lame tractor beam. You're not wrong. I've worked with high lows before that can lift more than that. <laughs> high lows are better than tractor beams. That's depressing. The future in alien technology sucks. <laughs> so, or high lows are just amazing. Or maybe high lows are just amazing. That could be too. Amazing and terrifying. Working with a high low is terrifying. Yeah, they're, they're kind of scary. You kind of feel like you're going to kill everyone around by lifting heavy things and <laughs> dropping them. There's uh, 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 a Simpsons scene way later in the series where children are using a high-low, and I'm sure we'll have a lot of things to talk about during that scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, King and Kodos are introduced here, uh, who will appear in like every Halloween special moving forward. Aliens from Rigel 4. So they're taking them to Rigel 4. They're actually from Rigel 7. Oh, they do mention later in the series that they're from Rigel 7, aren't they? Rigel 7 is actually a reference to Rigel being a star, but it's actually used in Star Trek. Oh, you know, I thought it was a Star Trek reference, but I I, I had only heard that vaguely before. I couldn't remember for sure. So it's a Star Trek thing? It is a Star Trek reference. Uh, so the uh, Lisa begs. Uh, the aliens let them go, saying that they, she understands that they're a lower order of life, and they face that prejudice every day, and the aliens bring them food. So one thing that's pointed out before that is that the aliens are speaking English. Oh, yeah. It's a lucky coincidence that they're speaking, uh, uh, what is it, like Ry- Rigel? They're Rigel- Rigelian. Rigelian. Which is, coincidentally, the exact same as English. <laughs> So this is actually a common complaint a lot of people have about science fiction that they can't get into it because they think it's weird that aliens all speak the same language as the characters. Yeah. Star Wars, a lot of aliens speak what is basic, which is English. Yeah, very common language or whatever, yeah. And people still complain about this to this day. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy films, a lot of people complain that they can all speak the same language. Yet when we get the mugshot scene... Mm-hmm. James Gunn actually put the forethought into that of this gag 
and Peter Quill has a translator implanted in his neck as one of the things that's listed for his augmentations. Oh, that's kind of neat. So this is still going on today where people complain about aliens speaking the language of people. I mean, that, that is always the gag. Like, like, you know, we're speaking the universal language. English. That's how it should be. <laughs> so No, it's not. Speak whatever language you want. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. So uh, uh, they bring in food. And uh, Marge, I think it's Marge, is like, oh, thank you for, for the food, mister. And the alien... With the voice of James Earl Jones, we have the second character of the episode who has that uh, has his voice, or is voiced by him, uh, and the alien says, in order to pronounce my name correctly, I would have to pull out your tongue. But later we find out his name is Sirach the Preparer. That might just be how they interpret it. I- Could be. Uh, I, I, yeah, so so uh, if in case you were curious, the food that gets brought out in the scene are is fried shrimp, sloppy joes, smothered pork chops, and radish rosettes with nothing for Maggie. Uh, also, radish rosettes are, to the best of my knowledge, not necessarily a recipe for a dish with radishes. They're just radishes that are cut into like a rose-like pattern. Yeah, essentially you can have cooked radish rosettes, which could be eaten as a vegetarian meal. Sounds kind of boring if you ask me, to be honest. Because you, you love meat. <laughs> I mean, I do, but and I like radishes. It's just, it just sounds a little boring. Uh, so uh, I, I think it's Lisa is a little reluctant about this. And she's like, something seems off about this. And Homer's like, you're right. Where's the applesauce? And Sirach the preparer, uh, looks at Marge and says, your wife is quite a dish. And uh, I, I think Homer says, thanks. Yeah, Homer says thanks, yeah. and he's kind of happy about that. Mm-hmm. It's a compliment on his wife. So uh, I'm going to admit a truth to all of our listeners and you today, Craig. Yeah? I am not a big pork chops guy. Really? I would prefer steak. I prefer red meat to pork. Like pork belly I love, but pork chops, unless they're thinly sliced, I'm not a big fan of them. Interesting. I, I do really like pork chops. I'm a big pork guy. Yeah, they're, they're kind of a middle-of-the-road thing to me. I'd pick a lot of other things beforehand. Hmm, interesting. And they're one of Homer's favorites. Yeah. Uh, now, pork rinds. I could eat bags of pork rinds every day. <laughs> Cover I, those in hot sauce. I'm... I do really like pork rinds. Uh, so, I, I, uh, Kang and Kodos are taking the Simpsons around the ship, bragging about everything, and uh, they show uh, like the world, the universe's largest TV, which has one million channels, but H- they don't have HBO because that would cost extra. So I did a little research on that. Do you uh-huh. know what HBO currently cost? No. How much? Fourteen ninety nine a month. Okay, that's that seems kind of pricey, honestly, considering like that's about the price of like Netflix, which has way more con- Net- content. You could get Netflix. You could get Hulu. Sure, sure. Uh, did you look into how much HBO was back then? So I could not find a pricing of HBO back then, but talking to people who have had it. Yeah, I've generally got the consensus that it was between five and eight dollars a month. That doesn't sound like too much, but I guess back then it would have been a fair bit. Now, me, uh, mm-hmm. we were stealing cable at the time, so we had HBO. <laughs> but we'll get more to that later on. Ah, yes, there is an episode where we will extensively be talking about stealing cable, which was a thing back then. Still, hmm. still is a thing nowadays, actually. 
Oh, that'll be interesting to talk about then. Uh, so uh, uh, the aliens brag about their Pong game or their electric t- uh, paddle ball game, which uh, uh, Marge and Homer laugh at saying that, you know, when they were teenagers, uh, they, you know, were playing that game. So we're nerds who talk about The Simpsons, but uh-huh. at our heart and our core, we're gamers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So got to talk about Pong for a second here. Yeah, yeah, by all so, means. So Pong is developed in 1972 by Alan Alcorn, and that was about 28 years before this episode. Yeah. To, to put into context for our, our listeners out there about this, mm-hmm. we are as far removed from Treehouse of Horror 1 as they were from Pong at the time. Wow, that is a long time. Yeah, this episode first aired 29 years ago. Wow. So it's a little longer than that distance. Wow. So that would be like someone showing us the NES currently and being like, check out the Master System in the NES. This is what we made. <laughs> now, it is funny because I... I at this time, when the episode was airing, a month after this, in Japan, the Super Nintendo was released. Yeah, which we'll get into a little bit more later. Oh, sure, sure. But I, I just, it, that's like the technology that the Simpsons would have been expecting. You know, they would have been having, like, finishing the Nintendo, getting to the Super Nintendo soon, and they were being shown Pong. But, but, they didn't, you know, we haven't mastered intergalactic travel, you know, and they have. I have. I'm gonna slap your hand right now and put that down. Uh, so they the uh, it's time for a feast. Uh, they bring out more food, and uh, when the Simpsons ask, you know, what's going on, what happens when they get to Rigel Four, uh, the King and Kodo say that there's going to be a feast in their honor, and uh, when they want details, they say, "Well, there'll be plenty of time to chew the fat later." They're very particular in their words. Very particular. Uh, so Lisa becomes very suspicious by these words too. Oh yeah, Lisa wants to look into things, and she uh, goes into the kitchen, and I, I, one of the I think it's Serac the preparer says something around the lines of like, uh, like as he's adding spices to this like pot, he's like, you know, this will give the humans the perfect flavor. And Lisa finds a book, How to Cook Humans, thus the reference to to serve man. Yes. Because in the end of To Serve Man, we learn that these aliens come down, they give humans everything they need. Mm-hmm. They give the cause of how to make food, perpetual energy, um, safety domes, so they're protected from war from other nations. Mm-hmm. But they're taking the humans off on a vacation to their home planet, where the book they gave them, To Serve Man, is actually a cookbook for how to cook humans. Ah, I see. I also to serve man stars Richard Keel. Does that name sound familiar to you, Craig? Richard Keel. The name is kind of familiar. The aliens in to serve man are all played by Jaws from the James Bond franchise. Really? Yep. He is the large, tall alien. Oh. He was cast because of his huge size. Well, I'll be danged. Well, I'll be danged. Uh, so. In the scene, though, the 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 color, uh, uh, the coloring is great. Like the that reddish kind of hue that goes when when they see this book, and Homer's like, nobody, but nobody's gonna eat the Simpsons. 
but there's space dust on the book. And they, they blow on it, and it shows, uh, what is it, like... Uh, it's how uh, to cook for humans. And they go, oh. And then Lisa's like, but wait! And she blows space dust off, and they go back and forth and with this gag. And it's how to cook 40 humans. <laughs> and then it's how to cook for 40 humans. And uh, Kang and Kodos are insulted. They're like, wait, are you like, are you joking? And like Kodos is like, no, I think they're serious. And I... Uh, the in the the preparer Serac the preparer uh, starts to cry and he's like uh, he's like I slaved in a kitchen for days and I love the line from Kang who says Well if you wanted to make Serac the preparer cry then mission accomplished and Serac says You're not the only al- or you're not the only beings with feelings in the universe you know which is kind of a heartfelt message when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, they they drop the humans off. They drop the Simpsons back off on Earth, and they say, "Listen, you could have had like the greatest of experiences, like pleasure beyond imagining, but you squandered it. You didn't trust us. So see you later." And Marge says something around the lines of like, you know how we sometimes say, Lisa, that you're a little too inquisitive? And Bart's like, yeah, thanks, Lisa. Homer's like, yeah, thanks a lot. And Marge goes, mm-hmm. And it ends. The recollections of one Homer Simpson with appropriate flashbacks and soliloquy, or simply stated, the evolution of man, the cycle of going from dust to dessert, the metamorphosis from being the ruler of a planet to an ingredient in someone's soup. It's tonight's Bill Affair from the Twilight Zone. What is that from? That's the ending to, to serve man. Oh, interesting. I haven't seen that one in a long time. I don't remember it quite as well. One of my favorites. I uh, yeah. So I I that that story wraps up, and we don't really know what Lisa's thoughts are. Uh, Bart tries to scare Lisa, and she's not having it. She's reading a book, and I I you know Bart's like, "Come on, Poindexter! Come on, Einstein! Put down the book." And Lisa informs him that uh, she's going to read Bart uh, uh, an ancient tale of horror called The Raven. Who's The Raven by? Why, our old pal Edgar Allan Poe, who got writing credit in this episode. They brought him back to write for The Simpsons. How amazing is that? Zombie Poe. He wrote a story for The Simpsons. Isn't that wonderful of him? That is fantastic of him. He woke himself out of the dead in order to do a Simpsons episode. They must have had a deal with Charles Schultz to bring him back <laughs> for this Charles episode. Schultz time, or the Schultz time machine. Uh, yeah, they they contacted Schultz. He went in time, brought back Poe. Uh, yeah, it's crazy talk. They didn't they didn't dig up his corpse and reanimate him. They they'd, just they'd be insane. They just made a deal yeah, with Poe. Schultz. Yeah, yeah, and used his time machine. Simple as that. I think Schultz would have ended World War II, but no. Listen, this was an important episode of The Simpsons. Uh, so, uh, the, uh, I, this is The Raven, and it's narrated by James Earl Jones. This was the main reason he was brought on to the episode. He also voiced the mover and uh, the, you know, Ciroc the Preparer, but it is The Raven, narrated by James Earl Jones, and Homer is the voice of the character in The Raven. And the Raven itself is played by Bart Simpson. Yep. And so, like, when the the Raven first would say nevermore, uh, you know, he uh, he instead says, like, eat my shorts. And uh, uh, Lisa gets mad at him for interjecting in the story. And it's it, not only is 
is this a, a wonderful? Because the Raven is a wonderful story. It, it is a great story. Uh, but this is particularly wonderful because not only do you have the wonderful narration of James Earl Jones, but you get the delivery of Dan Castellaneta as Homer because some of his lines are said so well. It's kind of a weird thing that James Earl Jones and Dan Castellaneta don't read more audiobooks. They should. So I looked up on Audible, James mm-hmm. Earl Jones. Yeah. And he's got a few children's books he's done, and he's done the Bible, which is super impressive that he well, did the Bible. I mean, the Bible is very long. It is incredibly <laughs> impressive. But the fact that he hasn't done more roles as someone who's got such a pronounced voice, you'd expect him to read more things. He's so well-to-do, though. You know, like, I can't imagine he needs the money or anything, you know, but it would be great if he did. Uh, and Dan Castellaneta not doing more audiobooks. The only thing I can think is maybe he has some kind of like contract with Fox where he can't do things like that. That could be. I know. I'm not sure. Uh, but I love it because, like, I mean, we, we could go through The Raven, but, like, you know, it, it's it's a pretty timeless story. And I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with it. And it is free. You know, you, you don't it need to pay money for it. You just Google The Raven and you can bring it up. Uh, As are all of Poe's stories. Oh, yeah. They're all all uh, public domain. Public domain, exactly. But I particularly love Homer's delivery when uh, he's like, take thy beak from out my eye and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Nevermore. (laughs) Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven. Nevermore. Why you little? And I love his just like his just like Homer's voice when he's mad. Dan Castellaneta does a very good job with it because you can feel the venom in his voice when he's like, "Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door." I love it. So good. I and so the the story wraps up. You know, like like the it's it's the Raven. You know, and I uh, Bart is not impressed at all. No, he's not. He's like, this isn't, he's like, this isn't scary. And Lisa's like, well, maybe people were easier to scare back in like the, uh, whenever the, the Raven was written. And then Bart responds, oh, so it's like Friday the 13th. Part one is pretty tame by today's standards. So getting mm-hmm. into a little bit of horror knowledge with that. By all means, I knew you would. There are currently eight Friday the 13th movies that were out at this time. Jason <laughs> Wait, takes Manhattan. Whoa, 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 hold on. Back it up. At this time in 1990. Yeah, there were eight Friday the 13th films. Eight in of them. There were eight of them. Yep. Jason Takes Manhattan had come out in 1989. Jason Takes Manhattan was in 1989. There, that was the eighth. That was the eighth Friday the 13th. For There's the original Friday the 13th, uh-huh. which is, I'm going to spoil Friday the 13th, a movie from 1980 for everybody. Pamela Voorhees is the killer in that film. Oh, it's his mom, right? It's his mom, and Jason Voorhees drowned. She kills the kids. She gets decapitated. Part two comes around. Jason Voorhees comes back. He's sort of like a lumbering, slightly disturbed and special kind of person who kills people in revenge for his mom. Yeah. Part three and four happen. Jason Voorhees gets murdered. Part five, we have like a weird copycat killer. Part six, Jason Voorhees comes back as the evil zombie that everybody thinks of for Jason. To the point where Jason goes to Manhattan eventually. Which doesn't take that much time in New York. Most of that film is set on a ship. And it's Jason murdering people who are like, prom night on a ship, we're going, it's going to be fun. Interesting. Except for the boxing kid who gets his head punched off by Jason Voorhees in one of the greatest kills ever. (laughs) 
so stupid and I love it. Oh, good lord. There's there's a scene in Jason Takes Manhattan, not to get too much into Friday the 13th, where he's walking through New York City and there's some street punks listening to like hip hop on their boombox, their ghetto blaster back in the day. Uh-huh. And Jason just walks up to it and kicks it. And they get all pissed off and they throw stuff at Jason and Jason just looks at him terrifyingly and they're like, oh no, we're not messing with you. You'll kill us. <laughs> but yeah. Bart's line of it being tame compared to the first. Friday the 13th actually sets a standard for horror that kind of happened throughout the 80s and into the early 90s where Uh the MPAA was very against the graphic violence of horror films. So things like Friday the 13th had extensive cuts where kill scenes were cut down by seconds in order to make them more appropriate for an R rating. Oh. To the point where some of the films are completely butchered in some of their things. Oh. Like Kane Hodder at one time kills somebody in a sleeping bag kill where he puts somebody in a sleeping bag and he swings it at a tree to bash their brains in. And that scene was kind of toned down because originally in the scene, Kane Hodder was getting pissed off at how heavy the dummy was and he swung it at the tree multiple times (laughs) and they had to cut that down to one swing because it was too graphic. That's kind of funny. So Friday the 13th has a long history of fighting the MPAA, which is where Bart's line of it being kind of tame compared to part one comes from. Interesting. Is they got really graphic and had a big fight with the MPAA. And horror movies kind of teetered off in the late 90s. Slashers kind of died. Scream made a mockery of them. I love it, but it's kind of a genre piece where Scream looks at slasher movies and kind of pokes holes in them. And that's what kind of makes it great. Wes Craven did a great job on dissecting the genre he helped make a part of. That's funny. And then they all kind of disappeared, and we really don't have slasher movies anymore. The only kind of like ongoing things we have are like The Conjuring and Insidious. Hmm. We don't have that cliche slasher killer. Yeah, we don't have a lot of those anymore, do we? I guess Happy Death Day is the closest you'd get to that, which that's a whole... (laughs) That's a movie. (laughs) Groundhog's Day with a slasher. Sounds like a movie. I uh, so I uh, the I uh, uh, so I I also love the fact that like when when Bart and Lisa are calling it a qu- uh, quits for the night and they're gonna go you know go to bed. I love that uh, much like in I uh, I uh, uh, some enchanted evening, Maggie clasps her hands around Bart's neck and he slides down the uh, the ladder of the. Uh, 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 treehouse with her around his back. It's it's very cartoony. It's very like uh, uh, sort of childlike and stuff. But there's something charming about that scene of his little sister like you know clutching around his neck. Kind of reminds me of Diddy Kong and Donkey Kong. Kind of, yeah. Uh, so they leave and they're fine. But Homer is still in the tree, terrified, utterly terrified. All it, it, the scenes transition and show all the kids sleeping soundly. Except for Homer, who doesn't want the lights off. And Marge is like, Homer, it's okay. They're just children's stories. They're not going to hurt you. And uh, when he looks out the window, after she turns out the lights, you can see on like an old, old tree that's like, you know, like has all of its leaves fallen, which is funny because there is no tree in the front yard of the Simpsons house. Uh, Go figure. Uh, A raven lands on the branch and like kind of cackles and flies away. And Homer's like, oh, I hate Halloween. And that's the end of the episode.
God, do I love Treehouse of Horror. I love <laughs> Halloween, but this is probably what started me on loving horror movies in general. It might have been because this you would have been pretty young at the time when this first aired, uh, but old enough to appreciate it. Uh, so, Sean, what I mean, I, I feel like it's pretty simple. I think we'll have the same answer. But what do you think the lasting impact of this episode is? This started the tradition of Treehouse, Treehouse of, of Horror. Horror. There's yeah. there's no other impact that it could possibly have mm-hmm. other than yeah. starting Treehouse of Horror, which is The Simpsons doing a Halloween episode. Every year after this. People still expect that to this day. Oh, absolutely. I, I would I feel like a lot like I have talked to a lot of people that are not a very big fan of new seasons of The Simpsons. I uh, and here's the thing. They still will watch the Treehouse of Horror special. Yeah. Our buddy uh, Robbie uh, uh, had told me that he's like, yeah, I don't really watch The Simpsons that much, but I catch the Treehouse of Horror every year. Yeah, I make it a point in every fan fiction year to catch the Treehouse of Horror. <laughs> Even if it doesn't follow all horror-themed stories, and they do Kingsman parodies. Kingsman parody? What? Yeah, that... they, they parody Kingsman and the Secret Service. I was really pissed off about that one. The fan fiction is stupid. Uh, so, uh, so Sean, the, that, that's the, the Treehouse of Horror, uh, which is, is, is a, a very legendary episode of The, uh, the Simpsons. Uh, but I think it's about time for us to uh, call it quits, because otherwise we're just going to keep babbling about horror movie trivia forever. Yeah, I could do that for hours and hours, and everybody would get annoyed at me. <laughs> like learn something. Like they aren't already annoyed with us, Sean. <laughs> I hope they're not already annoyed with us. Uh, so I think it's about time that we wrap things up here. I definitely appreciate you guys all listening. Make sure that you jump on patreon.com slash GameZilla Media and you'll be able to support the show, but also get access to uh, SmartLine, our show, which will, uh, uh, you know, do we do two half hour specials in the month uh, where we. Uh, you know, touch on uh, different uh, random topics for The Simpsons. Yeah, if you like when Craig and I go off topic and talk about <laughs> things for 30 minutes on end, that's basically what it is. Yeah, it pretty much is. It's just us babbling about stupid stuff and and occasionally topics and characters and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, definitely appreciate you guys uh, listening in. Make sure to, uh, you know, jump on Patreon for us if you're interested. And otherwise, we'll catch you next time. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween, everybody.